Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've got a very special podcast tonight. We're welcoming two of our very, very good friends. We've got Dr. Steve Harris all the way from London and Julie Horn, now based in Cape Town. Uh, both have been on their own previous episodes. I think it was 119 for Julie, 122 for Steve. So some of, there is some, uh, I guess, crossover in what we're going to talk about today with some of those podcasts. But I thought, you know, we'll do a proper podcast dedicated to how experts around the world approach the lip. Um, are you excited, David? I am excited. And I was just having a conversation um, with a colleague of both of ours today, um, Penny Timberlake, who's a, a very well-known and respected nurse here in Australia about lips. Yeah. And we were just talking about the fact that there's so many people coming into this industry now and despite the lips being such an artistic, difficult area to master, if you ever master it for even an experienced injector, um, it's an area that's high risk for occlusions and all sorts of things. And it's the first treatment, um, particularly here in Australia, that nurses get taught. And it's the first thing that they're doing when they come out. And we were just talking about that. So it's mm. uh, interesting timing that we're here talking about this tonight, but it is a topic that gets a lot of interest from people. Yeah. So let's let's get into it. So ladies first, let's start with Julie. Julie, do you just want to introduce yourself again to the listeners? I, I don't believe that no one has not heard of your name or follow your work already, but just give us the, the brief Julie Horn story. I'm sure there is someone out there that haven't bumped into me yet. Uh, I'm happy to introduce myself. My name is Julie Horn. I'm a, a nurse and I specialize in, in lip injections mainly. I worked in the aesthetic field approximately seven years now. And I own a couple of uh, training institutes that I train other medical professionals all around the world in my special technique, uh, the Julie Horn technique. Yeah. Um, and I really have a passion for lips and also natural results. It's important for me. Fantastic. Now, Steve, do you want to give us the, the Steve Harris story? Very <laughs> summarized story. Yes. Virginia, I, I wasn't aware that you've only been in the industry or the business for seven years. I thought you were around much longer. Interesting. Oh, well, I'll um, take that yeah. as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so obviously I'm, I'm much older. Um, so I've, I've, I've been in the industry for about 17, 18 uh, years now. I'm really showing my age here, gosh. Um, and yes, I also have a passion, like Julie, for uh, natural-looking uh, results. And uh, my main areas of interest are facial reshaping and also lips, where I've also um, developed my own sort of technique and obviously we'll be talking about our different techniques and, and what we have or don't have in common um but uh yeah it's great to be here and uh um and and sort of meet you all face to face once again julie we've we've already uh, met we were at the overfilled faces conference uh which we was which was fascinating it was very interesting yeah well that's it fantastic and um you know 
the excitement about this podcast has been extreme, I'll be honest. Yeah. We, we've been gathering a lot of questions and people are interested to hear. Obviously, you, you know, you're right. You've both got different philosophies when it comes to, you know, your approach to injecting aesthetics, style and taste and all the rest of it. And I think, you know, we should celebrate both of those styles, which is why I deliberately, you know, wanted both of you to come on. And I don't think there's a right and a wrong. That That's the whole point of this. There isn't a yeah. good or a bad. There's just difference. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a good point. I mean, I, I think, as long as people are being treated safely um, and things are done the correct way from a medical and compliance perspective, we're talking about, um, well, in my opinion, art to a certain extent Mm -hmm. Um, and different things appeal to different people. People have different schools of thought, just like every other art form in the world. So I think it's great having two thought leaders who approach things from different perspective with different philosophies and talking about the merits and the thoughts and, and reasons behind why you guys do what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And this is episode three of what we're calling treatments and regions uncovered. <clears throat> so of course we're going to be talking about lips, but also the perioral region. So, you know, we'll, we'll do our usual uh, for these episodes where we talk a little bit about the patient wants and, and needs tiny bit about anatomy and then we'll get into you know our guests techniques and and all the good stuff so why don't we start with again ladies first we'll start with julie when patients come to you i mean it sounds so obvious you know i want lip filler but you know what specific things are they asking you for and i guess it probably depends on what is your cohort are you seeing younger middle-aged older a good spread men you know what what are the common things but first of all, I would like to say that I really agree uh, what you said in the introduction that me and Steve, we have very different styles and also philosophies when it comes to lips uh, uh, or aesthetics in general. And I totally agree. It's nothing right, nothing wrong. We just look at things differently. But I do have to say that I agree a lot in what uh, Stephen Harris is presenting. I really support his um you know, way of trying to change the aesthetic industry in, you know, more aiming towards natural results and then try to really um, take away these, you know, a- alien overfilled faces. So I really am a big supporter of that. But we have a few things when it comes to lips that we not 100% agree <laughs> in, uh, but we, we, we work differently. I tend to look at things more... I tend to look at things more horizontally and you more vertically. I would yeah, say. Exactly. <laughs> we'll come on to your techniques. That's true. Yes. That's true. But also, in a way, uh, our patients, our demographics of patients, they also want different things. So, Stephen's demographics of patients, they would definitely not be happy with my results because they want something else. Yeah. Uh, my demographics of patients, they wouldn't be happy if they went to Steve because they want more change and they want that little more extra uh, vagant look. Uh, but still, within, in my opinion, a more natural result. Mm-hmm. Um, so, absolutely. So, when... I mean, the age group for my patients, I would say, is somewhere between 25 to 45. Quite wide age group comes to me for lip treatments. Um, I do have some more mature ladies, um, 60 plus over there. So I have a, a mix, but I would say that the majority of my patients are somewhere between 25 to 45 uh, for their lip treatment. Mm. How about you, Steve? What, 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 what patients yeah. are you typically seeing? I think the demographics are similar. I would say the majority of mine are between 25 and 35, but also very wide uh, spread all the way up to sort of 60s, even 70s. Um, and 
yeah, they, they've sort of come for different reasons. Um, so, and I know Julie um, talks about definition, which they want coming to, to yours mainly. And um, w- when they come to mine, um, the main thing for them is to look as natural as possible. And I think the Instagram acts as a kind of uh, filtration or a, a way for patients to select who they go to. So, you know, so when they look at our results, they, they know what to expect already. Correct. And uh, I think they, uh, they use Instagram to choose their practitioners. It's, it's a way of selecting. Uh, it's, it's, it's a filtration system or a selection system, really. I think it's, um, mm. it's, it's really interesting um, talking to both of you. And, you know, you both have very, you're very true to what you do. You, you, you do what you believe in and what you stand for and the patient's come to you. And I think it's an interesting point that maybe not to discuss right now, or we, or we can or potentially later on, is the fact that people come into injectors, especially new injectors, and they request a certain aesthetic. And you'll find mm. injectors doing things that are outside of their comfort zone, perhaps that uh, at odds with their own uh, aesthetic principles and what they believe is beautiful and trying to be everything to everybody. And I think something that's very admirable, admirable about the both of you is that you stick to your guns and the patients come to you who want the work that you do rather than trying to accommodate every want and wish of the patient that comes in that, do- that doesn't coincide with your philosophies and the way you approach things. Mm. Do you want to comment mm. on that, Bart, Julie, and then, and then Steve, maybe, if there's anything you want to add to that? Um, no, I mean, I think you've captured it beautifully. I was going to say, I mean, by, by the way, normally when the treatments and regions, I sort of chip in yeah. as, a, as an injector, but I think w- there's plenty of injectors yeah. <laughs> here. So I'm going to act as a host again tonight. Right, okay. But um, I, w- I will say that it's a really good point as a business uh, point, I guess, you know, use your Instagram as a platform to tell people what you do and what you don't do more to the point very occasionally and it's the same for me i get most people have come across my work and they kind of know what they're going to get before they come they even know how many mills they might get for 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 certain sort of looks that i've shown before and afters of but you occasionally get someone who you walk in and you immediately think this isn't kind of my sort of patient and and when they (laughs) ask you for stuff you immediately think oh god this is gonna be a difficult conversation (laughs) because you're probably going to say no to some of their requests or maybe all of them and so you know i i think like steve said if you use your instagram as a platform to sell yourself show yourself market yourself whatever then you're right you self-filter you know 95 percent of those patients that book in yeah now something that's not spoken about often we're all predominantly always focusing on the female face and form but Mm. injectable treatments for men are becoming more popular jake's done my lips once which was quite a traumatic yeah he he did and i got (laughs) got teased this is several years ago now yeah i got teased incessantly by my by my girlfriend um the following day because (laughs) they were swollen and we were out for breakfast and she looked at me and she goes what have you done to your lips? It was your, key, it was your key reality, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Well, this is really interesting. What made you uh, want to have your lips uh, treated? Uh, and then why, why did you choose Jay? Uh, well, why, did, I, well, why was, did he choose the greatest injector in Australia? Are you serious? <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, way, oh, look, I mean, I, I like Jay's, Jake's work. He, worked, he was working in, in one of the clinics that I own. Um, I've obviously seen his work. And for me, it was more... Um, not wanting to really change the size, but more like hydration and maintenance. Because I know that as we do, I'm in my 40s now, I know that we do start to lose, you know, uh, fat and and sort of 
tissue from those areas of the face as we age. So the male lip is, is a really interesting concept and we don't really focus on it a lot. So I'd be interested to, yeah. to, to get your thoughts on it, on both of you, on how you approach the male lip, what your sort of overarching philosophy is, what the conversation's like when men present themselves to you. And I guess there's also a difference between um, a gay and, and straight men as well because, yeah. you know, you might have a slightly different aesthetic. Maybe um, uh, gay males are perhaps more um, happy to have a more enhanced kind of look. Maybe I'm speaking for a, 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 like a small segment of that yeah. population, but it's, it's a really interesting topic that I don't think gets enough coverage. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Steve, do you, want, do you want to kick off, Steve, and then over to Joe? Yeah, not, not – uh not only necessarily uh, gay people, but some uh, straight men or sort of uh, metro uh, metrosexuals, sort of men along yeah, yeah along the sort of gender spectrum. Uh, a, a man could want, let's say, more feminine-looking uh, lips for whatever reason, um, and so that these are things which obviously need to be uh, taken into account. But um, because the approach would be uh, very different and. So in terms of anatomy, I think things things are are, are quite different. The um, the male lip tends to be sort of uh, flatter and, and wider and more rectangular in shape, usually uh, corresponding um, more to the sort of uh, width of the chin. So it's uh, more more sort of rectangular. And um, I tend to look at the tubicles, which are uh, which I consider the building blocks of the lips, and they tend to be uh, sort of flatter. And so there's, uh, you know, there's no point in sort of rounding those off or making them more prominent because then you're 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 feminizing them um, as such. Um, in terms of in terms of definition, I know some men want more defined lips. Um, I think that naturally male lips are not as well defined as uh, as as women as women's lips are in terms of uh, the uh, vermilion border. Um, and so I think that these are the factors that need to be taken into account. I'm probably missing something, but Judy could help. <laughs> no, <laughs> you said it very well, Steve. Um, when it comes to male lips, uh, for me, just like Steve mentioned, um, I'm thinking more as a goal with my treatment, more pointy, sharp and square and really try to make the lower lip more of a square shape. So it really goes well with the square uh, feature of the lower face. So if we measure a triangle from, I had this discussion with Dan Aesthetics the other day and Tim Pierce also measure the triangle from follow the filter columns going down, should touch the, the apex of the square of the lower lip and mm -hmm. then framing the chin. That is, for me, the most beautiful uh, feature in a male lip when you really get the lower lip more square shape to, and, you know, to really help highlight the jaw and the square chin of the male lip. Yeah. Um, also, many men, uh, many men, I wish I had more male patients. They are a little bit shy when it comes to lip treatments, but they are popping in more and more. Um, it's also uh, in regards to uh, many men wants definition as well. And if they have like a little beard or something, they feel like if they have a more prominent white roll, they, they, their lips uh, get more, you know, featured if they have some beard, you know. Um, and uh, when it comes to natural definition amongst male patients, I think it depends a little bit uh, on which ethnicity they belong to. 
So amongst the black population, I often see they have a very, very prominent white role. Also amongst the South African population, also some of the Asian population can have a more natural pronounced definition or white role, Mm -hmm. um, in fact. Uh, But Caucasian men, I agree, they have, not everyone, we can't generalize. I like to say that lips are more like, like a fingerprint. No lip is exactly the same. If we look at the shape, the color, the, the tissue type, the animation of the lip, they are very different. Even amongst identical identical twins, they can be quite dif- uh, different. So it's always, you know, individual assessments and listen to the patient, what they want. And uh, when I treat male patients, I always start very, very slow and steady, especially the men that wants to have a more masculine look. If I have a um, male patient that would like to, um, you know, celebrate his feminine approach, he wants a more feminine shape of the lip, uh, I'm happy to give him that. And then I mainly use more uh, the technique I use for for my female patients. Mm. I've, got, I've got a quick follow-up question to that, and it was because of something you said um answering the last question, Julie, which was that you said that men can be a little bit shy. Um, and I know for me, yeah. it, it was, you know, even though I know Jake and he's a good friend of mine, like it was a little bit weird for me to go, hey, do you want to have a crack at my lips? I felt kind of a little bit awkward about it. And that's from someone um, who's in the industry that's, you know, mm-hmm. this stuff's not foreign to me. So I'm, I'm keen to hear from both of you. How do you potentially overcome that with that male patient that potentially is, you know, nervous, scared to talk about it, shy, particularly if you think that they could warrant having some treatment done there? How do you how do you approach that conversation? Maybe I'll start with you, Steve, and, and then on to Julie. Well, I think it's it's about also addressing their, their fears. Yeah. Uh, particularly, for example, if a uh, male patient wants to remain looking masculine, then a big fear is that, you know, um, they'll end up looking uh, feminine. And so I think it's a matter of addressing uh, the fears. I, their fears, I do tend to put... Um, male lips on Instagram as well. And I think that mm. that helps as well so that they um, know what to expect when they're coming. And certainly um, I would show them, can show them other befores and afters and uh, give them a very clear idea of uh, what to expect. So take the mystery out of the equation as such. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are the kind of things I'd address. I was just going to add one of the things that I learned from Maurizio is a male lip isn't just, you know, like Julie said, maybe a bit more boxy or, or wide, but a male lip should look youthful because an, an older male lip can sort of, you know, invert and look a bit too thin. So, you know, having some volume, obviously not to the proportion of a female or out of proportion to the rest of the face, but it, it, masculinity should look young or, or, or youthful. Oh, rather. Yes, just, just remember, you, you've got to take that into context. I mean, when you say a male, um, male lips should look youthful or even or, or women's lips should, should look youthful, it depends on the, obviously, of course. the surrounding area. Yes. And so you, you, you don't want to um, just sort of get into that formulaic way of thinking. In yeah. other words, it, it should, and obviously you know this, but just, just to point out to the audience, yeah. it, it, it should match the other features um, of the face and in in my opinion is really the sort of the last thing to address the door to the house so you need to make sure the house is you know structurally sound uh, before you put in a new door so to speak agreed yeah i'll tell you a, yeah. a, a male who 
I don't think we really talk about him, but Daniel Craig, he's yeah. got quite full lips for a guy in his 50s, and he's still seen as very attractive, uh, yeah. I believe, by women. What do you think, Julie? Is he attractive? <laughs> yeah, and what about Tom Hardy? Yeah. Yes. He has, like, the most feminine, fluffy... Angelina Julie type lips I've yeah. seen, and they're all natural. Yeah, and so, then he, he yeah. plays Venom. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, Julie, but we, we hijacked your question. How, how, do, how do you sort of address the, the nervous male patient or address, if you really think a guy needs his lips done and they haven't spoken about it, but you know they'd benefit from it, how are you, how are you broaching those conversations gently and um, to make no, them I feel think, comfortable? I think Stephen covered the thing uh, very well, yep. like, to you know, show the secret behind the, the curtain, to show the end result. This is what you can expect that can calm them down a bit if you have some before and after pictures in your office that you are allowed to show. Um, so why don't I jump to the other point? Something that they are nervous about often is the healing process. Yep. People are going to notice the swelling, you know, mm. the days after the treatment. Are they going to get bullied by their friends, their partners? So... That is also something you can address or talk uh, with the male patient in, in advance. What you can do, I mean, now we have lived in a pandemic for a good time and uh, we have face masks that we can <laughs> cover our face, which has been good for, for that reason, not for many other reasons. But um, anyways, uh, tell them about, you know, how you can reduce the swelling Um because that is also something, you know, to go through the healing process. That is like a big obstacle I see in men because they don't want people to know that they've gone through aesthetic treatments. They want to, you know, many of them wants to keep it a secret. So I often, you know, tempt them by saying if they don't have any, any contraindication, um, prednisone, for instance, 20, 20 milligram for two days can really help reduce the extra swelling and you know, take a couple of days home office, then your friends won't notice. And when it comes to male lips, I usually inject very, very small amounts. And we do it slow and steady, maybe in, in two sessions rather than inject too much in one session. So it's not much swelling involved. So the heal I calm them down by saying the healing process should be quick and I can show them how to cover up potential small bruisings and stuff like that, just yeah. so they know a little bit more about the healing process. Awesome. Thank you. Now, I'm mindful that we also said we're doing lips and perioral regions. So what other things are your patients, you know, complaining of or pointing out uh, around the mouth? Well, everything is important. I mean, we have a big frame here. We need to uh, take in consideration uh, lips is only the sherry on the cake or on the top in my opinion so if you have a more mature patient let, let's say we have a female patient she have a volume loss uh, in her ergotrid or the perioral region maybe she's starting to get some inverted you know bone resorption of, in the pregial sulcus lack of support in the pregial area, rifids, downward, you know, commissures. So we have to see the lips like a big package like this, yeah. in my opinion. Um, so in my opinion, amongst my patients, um, the female patients are mainly most concerned about the vertical lines, the rifids and downward commissures and the shadowing, the downward commissures, or the, the jowls, the marionette line is creating. They feel like they look sad or angry, and also the rhythms. I would say that is the two most uh, 
you know, things that they, bothers them um, in addition to the lips. Yeah, I'm guessing so, it's the same for your patient, Steve. Yeah, yeah, very similar. And I would agree with everything uh, Judy said. I mean, it, the issue of assessment is uh, is enormous. We'd probably just need an hour alone to <laughs> yeah. talk about that because it it should address everything from patient preferences uh, to psychology to sort of the proportions and looking at um, teeth, symmetry, shape, size. I mean, it, it goes it goes on and on. It's a very, very involved process. I mean, we could talk about any one of those. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I would agree with the uh, smoke lines can be uh, a, a big thing, um, especially in um, older patients and, and, and can be something which is notoriously uh, difficult to treat um, because direct uh, treatment or direct filling often leads to that kind of... Uh, fullness or a Simpsons look, that kind of over protrusion, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is very, uh, very undesirable. Um, and filling in the filtral columns can look, uh, besides the inherent uh, risks of doing it, uh, can look very, uh, very odd and strange. So those can be very uh, tricky things to deal with. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Now, I know, Steve, that you're, uh, well, I know you've spoken about mod- myomodulation. I don't know if you're actually a fan of it or, or you believe in it, but mm. You know, when you when we're talking about lips, do do you believe in starting in the mid face to get some support to the lateral face, or are you kind of happy to go to the perioral region when someone starts talking about lips in your consults? My modulation is a difficult one because it's not um, it's not very evidence based. So you know, it's observed, it's commonly observed, and and we can see that a patient who presents with overfilled lips will have trouble with speech and talking. That's a form of myomodulation. Mm-hmm. But in terms of working the muscles to your advantage, that's uh, it's, <laughs> it needs more sort of evidence uh, for it. So, you know, if I'm treating the sort of aiming for the zygomaticus major to get sort of lateral sort of lift, um, you know, that's it's kind of... Um, yeah, it's, it's still... It needs more... It, more is required. Um, and then we can get into whether, you know, fillers lift or not. And, and, <laughs> and certainly there are studies by Cortana which show some degree of lift, but very, very minimal, obviously. Um, and so using myomodulation for, uh, for, for the lips, um, possibly when it comes to a gummy smile um, in Europe um, to sort of use fillers to reduce that. And uh, by, I believe by injecting the nasolabial folds, and they have, have other ways of, of reducing uh, the muscle uh, pull, and that seems to 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 have some promise. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. No, so you, you're not actually, because I guess you know a smile is important. Yeah, you not, know, it's not just a static lip that that people are going to judge. It's how how the they smile, animate. And, and uh, yeah, the smile is, is 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 critically important, and and I, in my opinion, important to show that with with. Uh, with the results because um, it's one needs to maintain uh, a kind of uh, natural smile and there are many aspects to it including uh, including the smile arc um, but not only the smile all forms of animation uh, really and you know it shouldn't shouldn't be compromised by the procedure in in any way and typically are with overfilling yeah um, and that's a big, a big issue in our times. I've got two questions. I don't, I don't know which one to ask first. 
Go I was going to say, um, we had Professor Bob, Bob Carter on not long ago, and we were talking about um, the impact of treating the masseter region and how that impacts the masticatory system, and it can sort of unravel a whole lot of other uh, functional issues with the jaw and the face in general. Um, but I was just thinking around how does the jaw in general, so you're talking about teeth and sort of the bony platforms and around the mouth, how do they impact the way that you assess and treat people or potentially instances where you might send someone off to an orthodontist or a max fax or oral surgeon to address issues before you approach the lips? Because I'm assuming it may have a, and, and tell me if, if I'm incorrect, I'm just assuming as a layperson it may have some impact on the way the lips look and the way they project and so on. I think it's important. I mean, fillers can't fix everything. That's very important to, to understand. And if you have a patient with some degree of expectations and you as professional understand that, okay, this is not possible to achieve with filler or toxins. Uh, I think it's very important to have that discussion with a patient and refer it to the patient to a colleague. Maybe a surgical upper lip lift is needed to first to be able to to reach that specific goal the patient wants to reach. So maybe refer the patient to a plastic surgeon, at least for a consultation, so they can have a discussion. Some patients, they choose not you know, to do the surgery. Then I'll do the best I can to improve or reach the patient's goal, but I'm going to make sure she understands that we will not be able to reach the specific goal she's looking for without that surgical procedure. Um, other things, you know, a dental status, if they have, you know, irregular teeth, canine teeth sticking out, that is affecting uh, the animation when they smile, they can get a little bit of a crooked smile, or in some ways, I think that is charming, it makes people unique, you know, not having that perfect Hollywood uh, million dollar smile, um, a little bit of uh, muscle pulling here and there just make people individuals, you know. Um, but if it makes them self-conscious, there are, you know, ways you can do, you can sprinkle some toxin if they have a stronger DLI on one side uh, than the other side. You can sometimes balance it out with micro-micro uh, doses. The, the downside with that micro-dosing is that the effect wears out quite quickly, so they need to come back yeah. um, quite frequently to, to keep that in, um, under control. Um, also, you know, if they have a um, little bone support in the maxilla region, sometimes it's beneficial to treat the piriform fossa as well, you know, to, to get more projection of the mid face. Um, so it's so many things we have to look at, um, on when we assess our patients and also the rotids or the smokers lines, like Stephen say, uh, I mean, the overfilling of the ergotrid is a mistake I see, or I call it a mistake, uh, but that's my opinion because it really gives that weird animation, Marge Simpson look. They start spitting because, you know, the muscle can't really contract mm. naturally. Um, so we are born with a very thin layer of fat in the perioral region. And in female patients, that fat layer starts to dissolve in a quite early age. So when I treat the ergotrid area, or the perioral area, I'm thinking I'm restoring the fat that was there once, which is a very thin layer. So I'm never filling with a cannula until I see the rutids get stretched out. That's not how I do. So I under-treat, I restore the volume loss that was there once, and then I try to attack the lines, maybe use uh, Tom Fanake's firm pattern technique, 
try to smoothen out the actual rifids? Why not send the patient in addition to a dermatologist? They can have a consultation. There are deep CO2 lasers you can do that also can improve the skin structure around the perioral area. So overfilling the ergotrid is a big no-no for me. Mm. Yeah. Actually, I've got something to add to that. Um, I was telling David today, I went for um, a consultation with an orthodontist, not because I wanted to, but I actually cracked a tooth. And long story cut short, I've got a malocclusion of my bite. So my Mm. my right, you know, connects and I I eat on that side and my left doesn't. It, It apparently never has. And I've never thought about how I eat until this all happened. Anyway, I have always known that I've got a facial asymmetry. So when I talk, I talk out of one side of my mouth and, you know, one cheek's a little bit smaller and so on and so on. So we did some... That's why I sit on your right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So anyway, this is a long story. We did some x-rays of my face, of course, and my teeth. And today we also did a scan of my teeth. And what we realized is that because the left doesn't contact, the maxilla itself is slightly hypoplastic. It's flatter, Mm. it's smaller. Therefore, and this is getting a bit out there, but probably the muscle tension is different on that side to how I smile because of the the length of the muscle fibers. Hence, I've got that asymmetrical smile and and it's how I talk. Bring this back to lips. When you get patients, and this is so common, or it's common for me, they'll they'll tell you, oh, you know, this one's a little bit higher than this one, and can you put yeah. some filler on this side to match them up and so on. I personally think that's too simplistic, and I never chase that, but w- what are your guys' yeah. thoughts on that? Start with Steve. Yeah, I mean, we are naturally asymmetrical. We have a more sort of youthful, fuller, shorter side and a more aged uh, slimmer sort of longer more droopy side Mm. and usually the left lip will match the one side and the right will match the other side um and you know while symmetry in the face is desirable i think in the lips it really is as essential as possible so we want to make lips as uh, symmetrical as possible but taking all those uh, factors into consideration and of course as we age i mean you 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 mentioned um maxillary retrusion uh, which which manifests itself as we age along with changes in in the mandible uh, and so we become more asymmetrical as as we age and, and these are things that uh, we need to uh, consider but with respect to asymmetry you can often get which is something uh, not talked about commonly is you can uh, get a rotation so mm. the mouth does something like this it rotates uh, to one side and that is a, a very very difficult thing to uh, to to correct because what you want to try to do is bring the other side forward, but you can actually exacerbate the situation. So rotations are uh, very difficult to edit. And interestingly, as we as we age, we we rotate inwards as well. There's a kind of uh, internal rotation, um, uh, which is often not talked about with uh, with asymmetry and very very important uh, to mention. Does that? Does yeah. that sort of answer it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess one thing that we forgot to mention about the teeth is obviously overbites and underbites yep. having an effect on, you know, where the lips actually sit. So that's important as well. Yeah. If you just so malocclusions like a class two of where the upper lip is forward or a um, class three, which commonly we see with uh, uh, prognathism are things which um, obviously need to be discussed uh, with, uh, with the patient very carefully. It can be very, very difficult things to... To treat and it again goes back to addressing the sort of underlying uh, anatomy and leaving lips till 
till the end, really. So, you know, on occasion, they may require a, a referral, I think Julie mentioned, to a maxillofacial surgeon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, before you address the lips. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask, um, well, but I think I'm not sure if it was Julie or Steve that mentioned this, but you're talking about, you know, matching the lips to the rest of the face and making mm. sure that you're not just picking a set of lips off a shelf and randomly sticking them on someone's face. But when I look through a lot of injectors, Instagrams, you just see lip, 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 lip. And I'm just looking at lips and I have no idea what that lip looks like. I mean, it could look good in isolation, but I don't know. Mm. It's like looking at a couch, in a in a, in a, mm. in a lounge room, but you're just looking at the couch. I don't know how that couch fits in with the rest of the decor or the, or the fit out of, of, of the, of the room. So what are your thoughts on, on clinical photography of lips? And I know that you've got privacy issues, but how are you supposed to really judge someone's work? A, when it's a photograph and you're not seeing it under animation or, you know, moving and B showing lips in isolation without looking at the rest of the face and seeing how they sit, whether it is it harmonious, does it match the rest of the features? Do they look ridiculous? I'm just curious, you know, what, what your, both your thoughts on that. We'll start with Stephen and then and over to Julie. Yeah, I mean, and Julie and I have different ways of presenting lips. Again, you know, um, no sort of particularly correct way, but I do um, take account of the face as a whole. And so I tend not to present... Uh, lips in isolation so i will at least show the sort of half face um, to show how it relates to uh to to the other areas um, of the face i think for me that's important to show and i'll also show animation so patients smiling to show that they look normal on uh on animation and i'll also present um cases sort of further down the line how things look after six months, after 12 months. And I think these are important things to show, in my opinion. I totally agree. Steven is amazing on his before and after showing full half faces so you can see it, you know, with the rest of the feature, more or less. Uh, I have a little bit different style on my Instagram. Steven is more uh, medical, which I like, and he has a lot of information and he also educates a lot uh, from his Instagram. Um, I'm lazy when it comes to social media and my Instagram account. I maybe post a before and after picture if I'm lucky once a month nowadays. Mm. And I just do have my style, you know, that the reason my Instagram account exploded years ago in followers was that people, they just love the look of my Instagram. It was consistent and it was this, you know, lips. Um, so Many of my patients in Central Europe there, they are quite shy. So it's very rare that they allow me to post more than just the lips. So I have just, you know, it's easy uh, for me to ask that. If it's just the lips, 90% says yes, that's fine. If I say half face, 50% says no. Mm. Uh, so therefore, you, to make it easy for me, I just... I know it's not the best way. The best way would be full face with a black background. You had before, you had immediately after, and then you have the healed result. That will be the perfect, you know, uh, clinical before and after photo, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, my Instagram is most, obviously, I'm posting the most beautiful work I create. Uh, just like a gourmet restaurant, when they serve their food to their guests you know they make the plate beautiful you also eat with your eyes 
that is like a little bit more with my Instagram and it's not very educational at all. I do use it mostly to advertise upcoming events, upcoming trainings, and then show some of my work. Yeah. Uh, but when I have lectures, on the other hand, within my slide deck and I show video content, then I always show full face. And I always show the fully healed result. Yeah, it's 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 a really valid point. You know, we as injectors and, and business owners in this industry, you want to be able to showcase the work. But you, you've been saying, Jake, you've run into lots of these difficult, awkward conversations with people where, you know, they're quite happy. They come in and see you because they've seen your work on Instagram and like that's fantastic. I want what that person had, or I love your work. Mm. But then they're not happy to reciprocate and allow you to use their photographs. It's it's a contentious point and it makes injectors' lives difficult. Uh, I, I think for injectors it's contentious, but yeah. in reality we definitely shouldn't put that pressure on our patients. I mean, you know, of course they're not coming to be our marketing tools. They're coming to to be a patient. And, you know, and we're the ones inspiring them, but that doesn't necessarily mean they need to receive. Yeah. Okay, it'd be lovely if they did, yeah. but, 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 you know, 99% don't, must sadly. Be, must be frustrating when you've got this cracker result you want to show oh, and you just for can't. sure. For sure, but um, yeah, exactly. But what about the patients who you shouldn't treat or, or don't want to treat? Um, maybe we'll start with you, Steve, because I think you might have some better views on this. But, <laughs> but you know, who are the people that you're turning away or suggesting maybe dissolving or don't think are a good candidate for whatever reason? I mean, that's quite a loaded question. I do have a very... Um extremely busy dissolving clinic so that's a whole sort of separate issue um and i it's it's very complex because you need to assess the patient properly not only in terms of what it is that they're uh, asking for and hopefully that is something uh, that fits well also within your own uh, aesthetic in terms of it being something sort of natural and not something crazy that they uh, one, but you also have to um, assess the uh, surrounding areas, of course, and make sure that it's achievable. Um, that goes without saying, but there is also the issue of uh, psychology and you want to ensure that you are, uh, that it is appropriate for this patient so that you're not dealing with someone who has some sort of image disorder like body dysmorphic disorder where you're going to um, make things worse. So the selective process is is extremely important from that sense yeah. because you could make things a whole lot worse so would you say that you know your your patients who you're maybe not so keen forget bdd and and so on let's assume they're harmonious but I, i'm guessing it's that cohort who've been treated elsewhere where you see a problem whether it's you know gross asymmetry gross size lumps problems you know because that's why you run your dissolving clinic yeah i mean that's why i did mention the dissolving clinic because they'll typically they'll typically come to that now if if they're just coming sort of uh you know just for a regular uh, type appointment and they have been treated elsewhere um it really depends on uh, presentation but in general obviously it's much easier to work with a sort of cleaner a clean slate as such um and often what will be required is either to wait, uh, give it some time for the filler to uh, disperse, or, uh, or what happens also fairly often is, uh, is that we'll have to uh, dissolve the filler because, you know, look, we're, we're, we're in the midst of an epidemic of filler spread at the moment. There is just, uh, you know, overfilled lips and, and filler just coming out everywhere. <laughs> and so 
um, really it's 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 something that you know we have to deal with on 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 the ground and especially for someone um, like me and and I'm and Judy too uh, you know we're, we're keen to uh, present natural looking results this can be a, a, a real problem yeah how about you Judy because obviously you, you do a lot of training events I know you run your um, uh, school in Switzerland as well so you probably get a lot of models who presumably have had treatment elsewhere they're not all newbies and yet you're trying to oh, design yes. a beautiful lip that you know you're, mm. you're trying to showcase to other learners so what do you do with those people where you're like mm, not 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 so sure about these lips what do you say and and you know do you so do you do the dissolving yourself or do you send them off somewhere else how do you run that no, I like to do this dissolving myself um, because sometimes when I send them elsewhere and they do the dissolving and they come back to me and everything is gone, I can still spot and feel a product that is poorly played. So we need to do it again, you know, another round. So I do like to dissolve myself. And yes, I see it's like uh, Steve is saying, um, it's a plague out there with migration and overfilled lips. And I also do dissolve a lot. So to get an appointment with me first, if you are a new patient that would like to have an appointment, they need to send in uh, good quality pictures and also video and the animation of the lips. So we can assess the lips and see if there need to be, if we need to dissolve before they come to their appointment. Yeah. Uh, also, when I have my trainings and the model supplies, the same thing there. They send in the videos and the pictures. We assess and then we let them know if you would like to be a model. First, you need to come and dissolve your lips and then we need to wait a few weeks, you know, to the, the let the tissue uh rest in peace almost said um before you come back um but one thing uh you know i don't i don't work on top of bad work yeah. uh, i don't like to say the term bad work but you know what i mean if they have been treated somewhere else or maybe even in worst case been to several different injectors over time it always ends up you know in a mess you know the more chefs around you know so uh Often in these cases, I do dissolve. I don't, you know, layer over my technique over poorly placed fillers. So, yeah, I'm busy dissolving a lot myself. Yeah. And I guess that leads us on to, you know, a, a really good point around the consultation process. Um, so it'd be interesting to, if you could just both take us through, you know, just at a high level, you know, what your consultation process looks like and maybe some tips on for injectors that are listening to this, you know, what should they be asking? You know, what, what should they be listening out for? How should they structure their consultation to make sure that, you know, people are informed correctly and, you know, all the important points are explained? And I mean, that's a yes. loose question because, of course, you can ask everything <laughs> yes. about the whole face. Yes. But try to gear it yes, towards the lips. lips. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean... It's, it's different. I mean, every person is different. Um, we can have a patient coming in that have done it in the past. Years ago, she has experience, you know, regarding the process and the healing process and everything. It's not much to talk about. She knows exactly what she wants. And I try to, you know, reach her goals as close as I can within natural results. But then you have other um, patients that never 
ever experienced elite treatment before, then we sit down and have, you know, a proper consultation and, and go through the process. So uh, I we do send out information in advance to people who book a consultation so they can read about elite treatment, what to expect, blah, blah, blah. So they have some, you know, meat on their bones when they arrive to the clinic that makes the consultation slightly easier. And that text, text also can, you know, um, invite the patient to ask questions that they might wonder uh, around uh, some topics in the text. But it's important to know, you know, what is the reason? Why do they want to have an, a lip enhancement? Is there something that is bothering them? Or is it just, you know, because sometimes I have a patient coming in and their lips are, I mean, I could kill someone to to get those lips, mm. you know, naturally. So I'm, I'm asking like, why are you, why are you here? Why are you even here? Your lips are absolutely perfect. But then you have a group of patients. Yeah, but you know, I would just like them just slightly, slightly, a little bit more fuller. And just to, you know, hear them talk, uh, because it's, it's important also to, to try to find these red flag patients. Um, um, it's very important because I burned myself a couple of times there, not being um, 100% observant enough. And, uh, you know, it can be a tricky situation if you treat the wrong patient. So mm -hmm. I rather say no to a treatment one time to many than say yes um, to the wrong patient. Uh, consultation is important. You know, you build the trust with the patient. Uh, inform uh, Information is important to prep them before the treatment so they can feel calm during the, the treatment, let them know about the healing process, what to look out for after the treatment. So, you know, we can avoid, um, try to avoid more, you know, uh, severe complications. And yeah. Judy said a lot of there, which I, I, I tend to summarize, summarize into the P's and S's of assessment, um, where P stand for things like uh, patient uh, uh, preferences, psychology. Obviously, we talked about BDD and ensuring you, you exclude that. Um, P could also mean periphery. So you look at facial reshaping and also the more immediate area uh, around the mouth proportions, uh, you know, Although we talk about the golden ratio, there's some good evidence to show that a one-to-one -one ratio is preferable, but obviously it will vary with ethnicity. And you have to also consider the position of, of the lips and look at things like uh, rickets lines and in Caucasians, for example, consider those things. And then moving on to the S's, symmetry, as we spoke about, um, is, is really important. And to look at things like rotations, Shape for me is extremely important, um, and I have an embryological uh, classification of lips based on tubercles, which I'm working on now, a study with, with some very um, uh, prominent practitioners, which hopefully you'll hear about in the not-too-distant uh, uh, future. We have to look at size as well, consider the fact that we need to match uh, the size of the lips, particularly to the eyes, right? Um, and look at things like sharpness, definition, um, which Judy talks a, a lot about, but also the other S could stand for smile, and that is assess the patient on uh, on animation as well. So I, I would say that's more or less 
the things that we would cover. Mm. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Now let's do a little deep dive into your own techniques. We've got the Julie Horn lips, and we've got the Steve Harris uh, non-surgical lip lift. So, it's both. I, I, yeah, I know, changed the name by the way. Oh, because, did you? What um, is it I now? The non-surgical non-surgical lip lift is slightly misleading because it implies that we can actually lift the uh, lips, and although you can give the impression of lift, we're not actually. Uh, Lifting them as such, that only can be done uh, by shortening of the filtering with a surgical lip lift. So I call it the non-surgical lip tubicle technique, NLT, not NLL. You have ruined my uh, criticism my of your focus. naming. <laughs> I was going to get to that. You, you've ruined my. I was going to critique you on on your uh, on oh, your. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like anyway. No, that's um, all good. So yeah, because I, I think it 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 captures more what I do, which is really. Um, uh, working with the with with the tubicles okay, rather perfect. than actually lifting the lip, which which is not possible uh, non-surgically, although it can give the impression of lift, like many of the other things we do with with the face. Great. So let's start with the famous Julie Horn lips. You know, what 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 are you actually doing? And let's just keep this to sort of you know volume, technique, what needles, what product you like, and you know mm -hmm. if you could relate it to the anatomy because this is important. Where I think some of your philosophies are slightly different. So if, you know, if you take us through that sort of stepwise um, approach, Julie. Yes. So, I mean, like I said, no lips are the same. They are like a fingerprint. So, of course, the technique is not 100% the same in all patients either. Um, but uh, often if, I mean, I can appreciate so many shapes, sizes, um, you know, when it comes to lips, different ratios. But if I have to choose a favorite shape amongst female women, and then that shape can also vary, of course, mm -hmm. But that is to create that vertical height in the medial portion of the lips within the medial canthus and alar line. I do like to increase the height. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, lifting, like Stephen said. We can't lift the lip with filler, but by injecting, um, I do in average four vertical injections on each side, starting at the GK point. So four, four and 4-4 four, four lateral to the midline fascia, so I don't pierce through the midline fascia in any way. Mm -hmm. um, those four vertical ejections, I am um, below the white roll, so I'm all, always injecting only in the red component of the lip. So I'm below the white roll, I'm above the fascia in the wet-dry junction, and I'm just in front of the orbicularis oris muscle, which is more or less a closed compartment of the lip. Mm -hmm. And then I inject my, what I call fences, just to not call it tenting like everyone else, gives support. It's like a, a line that gives support under the white roll and above the fascia in the wet-dry junction that can help expand the lip a little bit in height. Yeah. So that's usually what I do within the ALR line, just because I think that shape is the most feminine feature in a female face. Mm -hmm. But then I might have a patient that don't like that. They, no, don't touch my cupid's bow. I want a fuller lower lip. So, I mean, it's individual treatments always and assessments. Yeah. But in my beautification technique and amongst the demographics of my patients, that's what most of them are asking for. Hmm. So you will get the height and the dip definition in the same um, when you do these four injections. Um, and then I'm just 
less product, the more lateral I go. So four vertical injections, the rest I do with just a few horizontal ones, building up the lateral tubicles. I try to get as much 3D projection of the lip because I'm just like Steve. I'm not 100% fan of that completely flat profile lip. So I really love to build up some pillows of the tubicles, especially of the lower lip. So if they have a more pronounced or more um, projected upper lip, I try, of course, not to give more projection or volume of the upper lip. Then I try to really work more with the lower lip tubicle for a, a profile balance. When it comes to product choice, rhyology for me is very important. I choose the product um, depending on the patient's lip tissue, and that can vary a lot. So I usually have a scale. You have loose lip tissue on one end, and you have firm lip tissue on the other end. And the loose lip tissue is this very difficult lips to treat. They have a lot of pockets and empty compartments and tunnels. And we do know that fillers spread to areas where there is least resistance. So often when you put the bevel in a loose tissue lip and you start injecting slowly, you can see how the filler travels through these empty channels can start building up some volume in one place. And yeah, so these types of lips are very difficult. So loose lip tissue, I choose a soft, very forgiving uh, filler with high tissue integration. And I never touch the borders or anything. So I, my main goal is to give the lips a nice and smooth uh, texture and to fill out these empty compartments. To do the definition and shaping, I rather do in a second session when the lips are healed, then I can use a little bit more G prime into my product to be able to try to manipulate the tissue a bit. That's when I do the shaping. So that's for the loose tissue. But if you are in the middle of the scale, not very loose, not very firm, then I like to use a medium G prime product with tissue integration. I like having product that integrates with the tissue because lips are such an animated area. And we want the patients to look natural in the expression as well. Um, and the firmer the lip tissue, if we need to do some kind of tissue manipulation, if the patient would like to improve some asymmetries, well, the firmer the tissue, the more in G prime I choose to go up because the tissue needs that support to be able to manipulate. If they have an M shape that they would like to improve, some patients love their M shape, which is great. But I also have a demand of patients that would like to correct it. That was awesome. Can I pin you down to what products you, you were sort of referencing where you said a medium or a higher G prime? Um, for the loose lip tissue lip, when I say a forgiving soft filler that with high tissue integration, that would be for me uh, with the portfolio I'm working with, Resculane Refine. Mm -hmm. I do have a similar product from another brand, from Tioxan. You have the RHA2 is quite similar to Resculane Refine when it comes to, to the rhyology there. Fantastic. If you are in the middle of the scale, not very loose, not very firm, when I'm talking about a medium G-prime product, that would be Restylane Kiss for me. And then the firmer the tissue, the more G-prime, then I tend to go to Restylane D-fine. In some rare cases, especially amongst male lips, if they have very firm tissue um, and I do want to do some tissue manipulation, I use... Uh, Sometimes I can use classic Restylane Nasha. And I'm assuming you're only limiting yourself to a maximum of one mil per session, maybe less? 
maybe much less. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the average amount, it's all depending on the lip, the size of the lip, the natural size. I mean, the bigger area we have to work on, the more product we will need. So if you have very thin lips, a short mouth, I mean, sometimes I can't fit more than 0.2 milliliters maybe in the first session yeah. because I don't like to overexpand the tissue because there I think we have can have the issue with migration over time. Uh, if you have like big, huge, you know, lips that have been deflated over time, think Angelina Julie deflate a lot of empty pockets these types of lips when you start injecting this smooth forgiving soft filler the lips they like it's just like a sponge, like a sponge yeah. they can eat the filler yeah so in some cases sure i can use more products on specific type of lips but in average i rarely inject more than 0.8 in one session often even less than that yeah and i remember from our previous podcast you said you don't like decanting or, or using bd needles you you stick to the no, needle that you're given I by do. the manufacturer i do steve take it away take it away <laughs> give us the complete opposite <laughs> so for me really it's it's a matter of remaining as true as possible to the presenting shape and the kind of classification i've uh, developed and we're now doing a very large study involving 214 uh, patients shows a very neat and reliable way of classifying uh, lip shape based on their tubicle so for example if you have a large central third tubicle which is commonly referred to as m shape you can also have a smaller central a tubicle you can have no central tubicle or you can have a very flat lip Similarly, on the uh, bottom lip, uh, you can have two little pillows with a central depression, or you can have a fuller lip or a very full lip or a flat lower lip. And so it's about remaining, in my opinion, true to the presenting shape and really bringing it out in the best way possible, as opposed to changing it to something completely, uh, to complete something completely different. Um, so it's, it's not about uh, me and sort of sort of doing my own sort of artwork as such. It's really working artistically with what is there. And that's, that is my uh, approach, essentially. Um, in terms of philoreology, I think it's, it's a difficult one because philoreology we know, and, and, and Professor Cotofano has shown this, at least in the lab, it's extremely unreliable and unstable. Um, and we know that it changes over time. And this is in the lab. And so we don't have any sort of information, for example, of how biological factors interact with the filler. Uh, but we know, for example, through movement that a very soft filler can suddenly become a very hard filler. And so this whole talk about rheology is to me always, uh, is to me very, very confusing. And I think there is a lot more uh, we have to figure out. And so I say that in the meantime, really what we should be focused on is developing our skills, uh, you know, rather than uh, being slaves to the, to, to pharma. I'm not, I'm not saying you, you're a slave to pharma, but I, I think we need to be, we, we need to be careful <laughs> of that um, because, uh, uh, because filler technology and rheology has been getting better and better, supposedly in the lab that is but it isn't reflected in our results and so to me that is the issue 
Um, in terms of what I use, though, I use uh, I use Juvederm Ultra, and people always are very sort of critical of Juvederm. They say it it it, it has a mind of its own and, and can can go places. Um, certainly, I haven't found that when injecting within the closed system of 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 the mouth, the anatomical. Uh, closed system, and I tend to use not more than 0.3 mal shock horror uh, at most. Um, and one thing you may consider with the kind of filler that I use is that it, it it's it's very hydrophilic, so obviously it it expands. But it is a low G prime, low viscosity uh, filler, meaning it's uh, very fluid. I've, it's got high fluidity. Um, it's it's to me that's an advantage. It's very soft. It's less uh, less palpable, but it has high coercivity, meaning it's it's um, it sticks well. Mm. But the fact that it's hydrophilic to me is actually an advantage, not a disadvantage. Now, if you're if you're in the habit of if you injecting the vermilion border or going outside or it, uh, you know, um, then then it it could be a problem because you're going to attract water to the wrong place. So I I, I take that as a a fair criticism, but I, I don't go there with the filler. Yeah. So that is in a nutshell how I feel about it. So, so what is the actual, you've got a new name, the non-surgical tubercle tweaking Harris movement? <laughs> yeah, so, so lip tubercle technique is, so I work with that classification to, to bring out, uh, to optimize the uh, lip shape. So for example, um, um, if the patient presents with a, uh, with prominent or 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 visible uh, tubercles uh, with a central depression, I might want to bring that out a little bit uh, further. Um, or if they present with a very small central tubercle, I might want to bring that out further. If a large central tubercle with M-shaped, I might want to smooth it out a little bit on the sides and make it look less prominent. So it's about to me, working artistically with the tubercles and the natural presenting lip shape. Um, mm. So yeah. when you treat the, for example, the lip body or, or I guess the tubercle, you're, you're generally horizontal parallel with the lip? You, you so never... The lip tubercles, yeah, no, that's a good question. The, the lip tubercles themselves may be treated with uh, tiny bonuses mm -hmm. and they may be um, adjusted, uh, shifted over in terms of their light reflexes. Um, and I call I call it tubical shifts, and the kind of lines that Julie talked about, actually going from the fulcrum down over here, I actually term them H lines because they fall beautifully on the lower lip tubercles where uh, where the light reflexes are are greatest. And you can, by injecting certain aspects of the tubercle, actually bring out those light reflexes. In other words, position the tubercles in such a way that you get the, uh, uh, the sort of the, the neatest uh, reflexes coming out um, and shape. So it's about working with light and um, with light and, and shade actually um, and looking at the lips in terms of a kind of hills and valleys kind of uh, uh, sort of artistic way and, and, and working with that and, and, and bringing it out. Um, I, I don't like the idea of flattening the tubercles because you're kind of, in my opinion, um, in my opinion, they should be celebrated, not flattened. Mm. Um, yeah. This is part of our natural anatomy, and that's the way I view things. So where do you sit, Jake? And you've heard 
two <laughs> two opposing sides of the of the same coin, or you know, different approaches. But where where do you sit? Very funny enough, I'm actually in the middle. So I not look. I've I've tried everything uh, apart from Russian lips, and never tried that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, really, my, my all, the, all those Instagram ads haven't lured you in. No, <laughs> no, no, not yet. Anyway, um, my technique, you know, and and like Steve beautifully said, there there isn't a technique. It depends on what I'm presented with and and what they want and and so on. But if I had to choose an average technique, I'm I'm sort of coming in at a 45 degree angle. I'm neither parallel nor am I perpendicular. And it's not ferning because I'm not sort of strengthening like you would with a wrinkle, but I'm sort of doing maybe more similar to Julie where I'm sort of doing three or four columns per quadrant, roughly, you know, everything is different. But then I definitely do do what what Steve is describing where I'm focusing on the tubercle to create that sort of proportion and shape and light reflex and so on. So it's, it's kind of a, it is truly a bit of a blend. I'm I'm not just saying that for the camera. That's sort of how I approach a lip, but of course, everyone's different. Very Um, diplomatic, Jake. No, I'm sure I said that on our (laughs) podcast I did with you. I'm not trying to please you both. Uh, He told me he does Russian lips off air, just by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, let's discuss it. I, I, I'm going to, I don't truly understand what a Russian lip is. I, I think I have an idea. Obviously, it's the extreme height. It's a very flat lip. It sort of tapers off very, you know, from tall to, to short as you go from medial to lateral. But the actual technique, what do you both understand what, what that actually means? Maybe we'll start with you, Steve. It's tenting. But, but you know, <laughs> but you, you know, for example... Julie, I wouldn't Sorry, say does. But ru- it is. Um, it's tenting in a very, maybe shall we say, in a very crude way. Yeah. Um, and in a very exaggerated way where the tubercles are not taken into account at all. Yeah. And all, all the lips uh, end up looking uh, the same. In fact, we've identified in the study that it takes all lips and turns them into what we classify a 3A type. So no matter how you present, you will end up with that type. Yeah. Uh, which I find fascinating and quite sort of concerning at the same time. Yeah. Um, so basically it flattens the lip and uh, creates a very strong sort of uh, ledge. And the reason I'm so opposed to it is not because I'm trying to promote my own way of doing things. I really couldn't, you know, that's that's not what this is all about. It's because um, I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of, of, of this technique where I'm, constantly having to um, bloody dissolve it all the time. Um, This is probably uh, the number one reason that patients come to my dissolving clinic is they've they've had this technique and it looks great um, immediately after, or at least they think it does. And uh, within, within months, it's, it's just, it's, it's complete. It becomes very distorted. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and becomes, and the filler spreads uh, and it always does. Yeah. Um, and that is because the technique, uh, it, it involves large amounts as well. So, you know, you're going into one mil and, and above and uh, invariably the, you know, the lip's not going to be able to hold that. So it's a problem because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a technique which is becoming, uh, it's growing and uh, it's, it's becoming more and more popular. Looks like you'd be opening more dissolving clinics, it's trendy, Steve. You know, it's a trend. Yeah, it's do you want trend. to open a dissolving clinic here in Australia? We'll, we'll support you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sorry, Julie, you were going to say? No, no, not at all. The, the thing is with um, 
with the Russian lip for me, often when I see this, because I'm also slightly confused, what is the Russian lip technique? Is there a specific technique or is there several different techniques? It's just the result that has the name Russian lip, mm. you know, the specific flat shape and this um, very, very exaggerated borders. Um, for me, uh, it's a little bit too much for my taste. Um, Steven is definitely more conservative than myself, uh, but Russian lips is no for me. Mm. It's too much for me. Um, so the thing is, like you said, Steven, they, they can look, or at least they think they look great immediately after the treatment, which is true. Sometimes on Instagram, I can see um, before and after, and it, it looks great. But the problem is that they usually they enter through the white roll or above the white roll and they do all these fanning tenting fanning and they i also have seen that they do a lot of you know yeah. injection in the wet mucosa so when the lips then are healed and they come and you lift up the lip you can see all these jelly lumps and bumps under the surface so the technique itself or the techniques i have seen have not been good because there is filler spread everywhere they mm. get migration in their ergotrive and in the wet mucosa under the muscle here um but with that said i don't know uh, i do uh, know some people that claim that they are doing Russian lips and the results are absolutely amazing. So I guess she's working with much less product. She's doing a different type of technique than this typical bleeding, stabbing that you can see on YouTube and on Instagram. Um, so I don't know. I guess there is a variation, but overall, the Russian lip look now it's a bit too extreme for me. Yeah, this might sound odd well it's not odd but you know i think we can learn something from the russian lip i mean you know some people truly do have very short or, or thin lips and whilst you might not like the word tenting steve i think you know it's just a technique you're creating some height in a lip with with a technique do you think there's ever a role where you know you might have patients who are very thin and actually you do need to d develop the height yeah, fair enough. I think if it if, if it involves greater risk, then it's a problem. And I think with this type of procedure, you know, where there is sort of uh, repeated multiple injections uh, down to the wet dry border, you're 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 increasing risk, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you're getting closer to the labial arteries. Mm -hmm. um, so there, so there is that, mm -hmm. um, which is a problem. But yes, for certain, very very. Thin or what you guys call like M-shaped, very very thin lips. It it provides uh, it provides a, a degree of height which my procedure uh, can't do. Um, but the, the the issue that worries me is besides the issues of safety is that Russian lips are immediately recognizable. Mm -hmm. So you can tell someone has had Russian lips straight away, and yeah. that's the sort of the 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 danger there is that we're again similar to. Really, it's just part of this alienization process of, of making everyone uh, uh, look the same. And instead of really celebrating diversity, um, because that's where true beauty lies. So that is the issue for me. Mm, yeah. What's the, um, what's the fallout? You said you get a lot of patients coming to you 
needing to get dissolving done. And you, you sort of explained, both of you explained, you know, lots of injections, blood everywhere. I'm assuming there's a lot of scar tissue build up that might um, come as a result of that level of trauma, repeated trauma. So Steve, what's, what's the fallout of treating these patients? I mean, is it one session? I mean, what do the lips look like? How do you go about restoring a lip that's been, you know, attacked um, in this sort of a way, in an extreme, in an sort of in extreme, that's in extreme good, way. That's a good description. A lip that's been attacked. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, the lips are uh, are traumatized. I mean, there are no good studies in terms of looking at it more carefully, um, looking at scar tissue and that kind of thing. Although obviously, you um, there is a greater risk of that developing the more times you puncture um, you you puncture the lip. Um, so yeah, the lips the lips will become. I mean, they present in a very distorted uh, state. And the issue then is there's all sorts of issues related to, to, the, uh, to the dissolving process. Um, also psychological issues. And it can be quite a traumatizing experience for the patient who's then suddenly left with no lips from going from this incredibly incredible sort of big kind of uh, prominence to to something to zero, mm. uh, it can also have psychological uh, repercussions. But in terms of the lips themselves, um, lips the, the lips generally uh, do make a, uh, a recovery. Um, but then there is the issue of, you know, well, are they then more prone to um, uh, filler, uh, filler spread or migration once they've been so traumatized? And in a proportion of cases, um, that seems to be the case and really the approach I have would then be to really treat them in a very slow and gentle manner. Um, so you don't want to overload them again. Um, although I use tiny amounts anyway. So it's about, it's about addressing all those issues and patient expectations and what we can and can't do afterwards. Um, you know, because for example, sometimes when you explain the whole thing to the patient, they opt to just stay with, with, with what they have. You know, when you say, look, this is really going to go down and this is all that I will be able to do with them afterwards. Uh, so it's a very, very uh, complex issue, which we're still trying to fully understand. Um, and uh, a lot more studies um, are required. But um, for now, I would say, you know, um, avoid the procedure if, if, if you can, uh, simply because of the inherent, uh, what, what appear to be the, the risks involved and, and what we see on the ground. Yeah, I remember we, we did get into this a little bit on your own podcast with us, Steve, and, and I remember you said you like to use a needle, you told us about your dilution of hyalase, but Julie, what, what sort of volumes of hyalase might you use in your experience of, in, of dissolving lips? And, you know, how do you get into that? you know, wet, dry border? Do you ever use a cannula for, for your hyalase or do you, do you stick to needle as well? It depends a little bit on uh, dose. It's depending on how much mm. is injected as or have been injected. And also sometimes some brands can, you know, be a little bit harder to break down. Yeah. So the dose can vary depending on what is injected and how much is injected. Uh, but I do like to go... Um, I can use either a needle, a half inch needle or a cannula into the actual lip body to dissolve. Yep. Less trauma, less risk for bruising. I carefully slide with my cannula and I inject the hyaluronidase in the actual lip. For migration, on the other hand, uh, I tried using a cannula in the past. I did an anthro point a little bit outside the commissure. And I could reach the cannula, the whole area 
in the ergo treat like this. The problem I had when the patient came back a week later was that the very, very superficial, you know, the, the borders were still a little bit blurry. So the filler that was more superficial, I didn't get with the cannula. Mm. So therefore, I have changed my approach a little bit when I treat the ergotrid area. I use a BD syringe with a teeny tiny needle. You can also use this mesotherapy needle, these teeny, teeny, tiny ones. And I go like subdermal and I do small aliquots or boluses. And I just let it sink into the tissue. That really clears up the borders as well to get rid of everything when they have migration all around the whole perioral region. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Mm. Just a quick word, and that is, I, I have to mention this, not because I'm trying to plug my own course here, but I think ultrasound is yeah. really uh, becoming very important, um, well, for our industry generally, but I think it has uh, has its use for lips as well, um, and particularly with uh, with with treatment and in terms of locating uh, the the labial arteries, but also uh, with uh, the dissolving process itself, it's really changed the way um, that I dissolve. I find I have to use a lot less of uh, the hyaluronidase than I used to before. Um, so really, it's it's the way the way things are heading in mm. terms of, of ultrasound. I think as it as as ultrasound itself becomes more sophisticated as well. And, and are you using that ultrasound on your own? Do you have a sonographer there or have you sort of learned how to do it? Because it no, seems no, like, so is it quite tricky yeah, to no, sort I of be... It, I've, I've been using it for, for some time now, um, for about a year. Um, and I think that it will, I just in terms of our industry, I think it's it's it will be a, the gold standard. I think it will at some stage be essential, in my opinion. Mm. I think it's it's a very, very important tool. How long did it take you to become competent and what, what sort of, uh, what equipment are you using? Just for anyone that's curious, I guess. Um, I use uh, the Clarius L20 handheld device, which I think is very good. Um, it's got very good high frequency and definition. Um, it's very, very good for the face. Um, how long does it take? Look, I'm still, you know, I'm still learning and it's a year later. Um, there's still stuff I'm picking up. It's It's a matter of, um, sort of really seeing the benefit of it and jumping into it, really getting into it. Um, not just buying the device, which a lot of people do, and then just put shelving it, but uh, investing in courses and um, and uh, incorporating it into daily practice. And really, it's completely changed the way that I practice. It really has. Um, so I'm using much less product um not not only uh, not not just talking about the lip area but the face as a whole and um so the the treatment is um more sort of uh more effective as such and also safer um there's no question about it so to me this is the it's it's the way of the future well the way of the present yeah yeah. Talking about safety, um, I wonder if you could both be honest. Have you ever had occlusion of the lips, Julie? And then we'll come to Steve. Knock on wood, no. That's the true, honest truth. I have never, ever had a single occlusion uh, just yet. I am super humble about it. Um, it will probably happen to me at some point in the future. Tim Pierce told me regarding to the statistics, I should have has, had at least one occlusion in my career. 
but I haven't. Uh, I'm a very, very cautious injector and I always localize the labial arteries prior to the treatment and I'm super careful. Uh, so I think that helps a bit, but I'm super humble about it. It will probably happen. I think the most important thing is to recognize an occlusion in a very early stage, knowing exactly how to handle it, follow up the patient, you know, make the patient feel safe and, and you know, save the, the tissue. Um, also, not in any single of my trainings worldwide over seven years, I've trained thousands of medical professionals have ever had a lip occlusion on any of my trainings. So we've been lucky so far, but it can happen to anyone. It's about how many years you've been working in the industry, how many patients you've seen over the time. Anyone can be unlucky at some point. I'm super humble about that, just knowing what to do and recognize it. Yeah, I agree. And how are you locating the the arteries? You, you mentioned that you look for them, but without ultrasound, what, what do you I do? do. Without ultrasound, yeah. So the first thing I do is like I, I flip the lip open like this, mm -hmm. both upper and lower. Look how sexy I look right now. <laughs> Pretty up, yeah. Just to get it, <laughs> bring it up. <laughs> Just to get a view of the wet dry border and the wet mucosa. Mm -hmm. um, because the eye catches movement very easily, especially if you have good lighting uh, reflecting over the wet mucosa, you can easily spot a pulsation. If I can't see any pulsation, my next step is to gently take my index fingers inside the wet mucosa, like this, and I localize the pulsations with my fingertips. So in close to 80% of the cases, the labial artery should be in the height of the vermilion border, way back behind the orbicularis oris muscle. So if that is the case, I can always feel the artery and I can roll it with my finger. You can even feel the vessel if it's placed behind the muscle. Yep. And it's so easy to locate. And then I palpate along the wet dry junction to make sure there is nothing pulsating there. Um, if I can't feel the pulsations with my fingers and I'm trying and trying, then theoretically I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is the few percent where the labial artery actually runs through the muscle. So I can't feel the pulsations because it's nicely tucked into the muscle. That is the theory. And that I'm extra careful with the depth. Um, uh, so I'm super careful if, if I can't find the, the artery. Mm. And we know that in a few, 1% uh, or slightly more, we can have the artery running in front of the orbicularis oris muscle, right uh, uh, you know, behind the, the vermilion border. So there is a variation in the pattern in the vessels. Ultrasound is an amazing tool to use. Sometimes it can be tricky to find these small, small uh, with an ultrasound, but these um, palpations and, you know, look for the artery to localize it before the treatment, I think have really helped me avoiding occlusions. Uh, about 1%, I, one out of 50 patients I see, uh, I can find these pulsating arteries in the wet dry junction about one to two percent so yeah. it's not super common uh it's quite rare but it's common enough for me to pay attention to it and to be careful about it so steve with your magical ultrasound do you agree with those rough ratios that we read in all the anatomy books and uh lee walker's produced yep. an amazing book and steve wine has told us similar um sort of proportions of where we can find the artery do you agree from what you see on your ultrasound or not yeah it's it's uh it's it's not very commonly found uh, at the front, um, as, as Judy says, but I have, uh, I have seen it, uh, certainly, and uh, 
has has it changed the way I, I do things? Well, you know, you just um, you just become sort of you're more aware of it. Um, so um, yes, um, but you know, the the artery is sort of very. It's it doesn't run a straight course. So does you, you understand? So you might be palpating it in one place, mm. but then of course it may be doing that, and and. Um, um, that I, you can only see on ultrasound. I don't see how you would be able to sort of see that without. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 of incredible value, incredible. Um, do you think the ultrasound has made you more confident or more conservative? It's made me humble. Yeah, more humble. Yeah, uh, honestly, um, it's. <laughs> I mean, you're looking at real-time anatomy there and, yeah. and not just talking about uh, the lips. Um, I use it uh, especially when treating sort of um, other high-risk areas like the nasolabial folds and the temples and so forth. And yeah. you look and you're like, wow, I would have injected there before. Um, and I've put up um, on, a, on a story just the other day a, a deep-lying temple artery where I would have done the sort of one-up, one-over, and you know, which could have blinded the patient. So it's it's a very um, humbling experience. It makes you appreciate the incredible uh, variation in anatomy, yeah, um, in real time. Yeah. So it's really an amazing tool. It's it's the way forward. And you know, look, it's not a very it's it's not an easy thing. Uh, to use, but you can get the hang of it. I think pretty quickly within six months. I think you could, you know, get going with it. Um, but it's like it, it's like the first iPhone kind of thing. It's heavy and clunky, and it it overheats. And they're going to get more and more sophisticated. There's no question about it. And the price will reduce hopefully too. Yeah, sort of like would you go swimming in the ocean if you knew where the sharks were? <laughs> I, I was just about to say, you know, the ocean could look so beautiful, but then you look inside and you see what's in there, and you think, shit, I'm not going swimming, especially in Australia. Yes. <laughs> that poor guy that got eaten a few weeks oh, ago. Oh my god. god. Yeah, awful. Um, what about the finer details of the lip? And I think we did touch on this earlier, but for example, you know, women, when they uh, go through menopause, particularly they, like Julie said, they lose the fat. They might often have the perioral lines. Uh, they get that long, long lengthening of the, the filtrum from the nose to the lip and it becomes quite tricky. So at what point do you bail out, I guess, and say, look, I think you need a surgical lip lift first of all, then maybe we can get some shape to the lip. Like what, what's your approach to, to that sort mm -hmm. of patient? Maybe we'll start with um, Julie. Well, I mean, if I can, I can see that the end result, well, I can't really see that, but if I suspect that the end result will be so much more pleasing or appearing, um, if she goes through a surgical lip lift, you know, we have measurements I can show her, I can measure her ergotrid. If it's longer than a certain, you know, number, I can say, you know, if we shorten it surgically, we will be able to achieve a little bit more of this and that with your lips after you are healed. Um, maybe sometimes when they lift the whole muscle, I know um, a surgeon in USA, Ben Talley, he's like a guru of upper lip lifts. He does amazing work. And in some cases, you can get a little bit of a more aversion yeah. of the upper lip as well to more uh, show more red lip. So, I mean, there is no, if I just see that, ah, oh, gosh, she should have, or it would be better if she did go through this procedure, then I suggest that. I talk to her and um, 
I suggest um, a referral to a plastic surgeon only for a consultation. It's always the patient's decision in the end uh, what they want to do. Uh, but there are limitations what we can do with filler if they have an elongated ergotrid. I mean, we can get height, but it's one, two millimeter. We have to mm. be realistic about that. We can't create more height than that with filler. Do you have a little referral system with your fiancé? He's a plastic surgeon. Do you send them along to him? or? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I have my business in Switzerland. Right. So, that is true. Um, and yes, but... Um, my uh, my business partner Felix Bertram he has under over 100 employees and several plastic surgeons dermatologists uh, he has he have them all wow. so i can just refer them yes that's fantastic and what about you steve i mean maybe we'll not ask the same question but how do you approach the filtral columns because you said they can look weird or they can look amazing so first of all how, how do you do it like what's so, your technique in, in, just to go back sorry Sorry, what was the second part? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, how do you physically do it? Do you just go up from the GK point? Where do you point your bevel? How high do you go? What What's your product choice? Or are you just doing the same as your favorite lip product? I can't remember the last time I did filtral columns. Right, okay. Uh, so, I yeah. My, and to me, the filtral columns, and I, I've done a couple of posts on this, can be defined indirectly. Um, and, um, I find that that is what happens at least using my technique. It does bring them out in terms of the filtral length. A simple rule is the moment it covers the teeth, it's surgical. So if it, it goes long and it's got nothing to sit on and, you know, you're going to try and put something on there, it's just going to make it heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, it's a referral for a surgical lip lift. Um, a way I often explain this to the patients, um, is that the uh, the filtrum, especially if it is long and or protruding, acts as a mechanical barrier to the lips, which is moving in the upward direction, so that it can only move uh, forward, outward. And so that's when I uh, uh, either suggest, uh, well, depending on what they want, nothing, or or or, or look into having a uh, a surgical uh, lip lift. But the filtral columns, I'm not a um, I'm not a big fan of. Um, if I were to do them, I suppose it would be extremely, extremely conservatively. Um, but I honestly can't remember the last time I did. I know some people do it as part as routinely um, as part of their um, uh, treatment, um, you know. But I'm uh, I haven't seen many um, good results, to be honest. Yeah, I have to say uh, I can't remember the last time I did one either. I, 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 you know, I think it's nice to get a not an, an overly sharp Cupid's bow, but to define the GK points and get that central tubercle, you know, mm. to whatever is anatomical. But I don't think you need to paint on sort of two strips above it. And and depending on your filler choice, it can sort of spread and look really weird. So, yeah, mm. I'm the same. I rarely do them. Mm. Um. How do you guys approach things like uh, gummy smiles and lip flips? I know that um, for a lot of injectors, when patients come in and ask for those, it's it can be quite um, – well, I guess the way they look at it is it feels like, especially for the lip flips, they feel like it's a waste of their time. They don't want to be treating them. It's, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I know from a business owner's perspective what my thoughts are, um, <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, both of you, what, what you think of, think about those. Maybe, maybe Julie and then we'll head over to Steve. No, I have um, successful – treatments with with gummy smile uh to inject uh sure but um i'm not a big fan of the the lip flip thing i mean i've tried it in the past in some patients you can 
maybe get the effect you you were looking for. In some patients, it just looks very strange. Mm. Uh, mm. And in some patients, nothing really happens. So I'm not a big lip flip fan, no. But uh, for gummy smile treatment, it can be very helpful to inject mm. some neurotoxin there. Do you have yeah, a... I mean, elevation. sorry, just going to add to that. Um, wh- where do you find your, your point for your gummy smile? Where do you like to do that? Well, there are different approaches. I have learned two different. Uh, you find that little worm and you go quite superficial here. And some people go above the uh, nasolabial fold. Uh, and then go deeper into the muscle. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I do both. I get the similar effect. And would you use, say, two units of equivalent of Botox? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, do you, anything to add to that, Steve? Do you do anything different? Yeah, I just, uh, no, pretty similar. I just need to make sure what the cause of the gummy smile is. So you've got different sort of um, conditions, and you need to make sure that you're dealing with. Uh, that the cause is hyper, the hyperactive elevators as opposed to, let's say, uh, a delayed passive eruption of teeth where you can get these small sort of teeth and a big gummy show or if you have vertical maxillary access. So you need to really um, know what you're dealing with uh, before you address the issue in terms of a um, sort of using uh, botulinum toxin or the... Um, What's it? Lip flip. Um, no, I'm not. Um, I'm not a fan of it. Why doesn't um, it surprise me? Very... <laughs> <laughs> what? It doesn't surprise me, but you know, right. it's good to hear it. <laughs> yeah. We are. Um, yeah, we better get to some of these listener questions at some point soon as well. No, absolutely. <laughs> I just want to finish off with the the gummy smile, and this is from my personal perspective. Uh, uh, per, sorry, perspective. Um, Patients often, you know, if they flag it, I think it's a good treatment to at least try a conservative mm. dose and, you know, see mm. how they like just a couple of millimeters drop. But even if you achieve like a beautiful, perfect, you know, whatever anatomical smile is, I think that their friends and family and people who know them for their normal smile, it can look very weird. They they find it a very disingenuous. They immediately say what's happened to your smile (laughs) uh and then that patient comes back complaining saying look i'm getting all this awful feedback and so i just think for the injectors listening who may be a little less experienced be very cautious with your gummy smiles and and just you know you can always come back for a review and add another unit or so on um and maybe you know your first one try a little bit more superficial so you're not in the belly of the muscle yeah but if you've you've got a dress-up party when you're going as the joker it could work quite well (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually just to finish off the whole smile thing what about patients who come in saying look and this is the classic when i smile my top lip gets too thin when i'm not smiling it's kind of okay what do you think about using filler to sort of partially improve a gummy smile but also you know help those people who get too thin just when they smile but they're 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 okay when they're not smiling it's a tricky it's a tricky sort of request and i don't actually think it's a realistic request but what's your take on that just tell them stop smiling then yeah exactly that's exactly what i say just be miserable and you'll be fine (laughs) just listen to this podcast you'll be fine (laughs) steve i'm assuming we're gonna say this is normal it's anatomical stop being annoying you you know what i'm gonna say there's no need for me to say anything Um, no but you're right you you kind of answered the 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 answer was in the question and and sometimes obviously when you treat the lip itself um, then that will improve, won't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair no, enough. No, no, no. Now, um, I don't think we did. We talk about lip photography. We kind we of did kind of at the beginning. I was talking about. Mm. I mean, do you have any particular angles <laughs> or expressions that you you routinely do? I mean, lip can be difficult, particularly when you're you know, like we said, we, sometimes you're just cropping onto the lip itself. So, what what angles do you like? Is it just you know, face on forty five profile? Anything else? I think the most important thing is that you have the same angle and light on the before like you have on the after. So it's consistent. Um, I like to uh, do frontal view and 45 degree and also profile, of course. But it's to do a profile, you need to get a nice background. Um, so usually my patients are lying in the treatment bed. So I mainly post front and 45 degrees. And then I also like sometimes to take a live video, uh, 180 degrees around. Also ask the patient to smile a bit so they can see the result in live and in animation. And um, so front and 45 degrees. Um, I do make sure that I have light uh, hits directly towards the face. So try to reduce shadowing that can occur under the nose and the lower lip if you have down light. So, you know, have the light angle straight towards the face and be consistent with the before and after. Same angle, same light. That yeah. would be my advice. I, I will. It's not a criticism, Julie. I think your, your lips are absolutely beautiful. But I do notice that you, you do like to use a balm in your arm. Oh, yes. Is that correct? Yeah. I do get some people are um, criticizing that, that I put these uh, anti-inflammatory uh, medical grade uh, clear ointment on the lips after the treatments for yeah. for several reason, uh, reasons. But I mean, yeah, the lips looks a little bit more glammy with a gloss on. Sure, yeah. I'll take that. But it's not altering with the results at all. Yeah. And actually, my second last post doesn't have any makeup or any gloss or anything. And you can see the result looks, you know, similar. Yeah. So gloss or no gloss, it's actually a medical uh, ointment. So there is no color or makeup uh, applied on the lips. Um, but the pictures look slightly more crisp and, and you know, prettier, in my yeah. opinion. I, I think a balm, I mean, look, it looks great. It does help with the texture. You know, people with slightly dry lip, it looks yeah. a bit more homogenous. Mm. Um, so, yes. you know, I think it looks awesome. But here in Australia, oh. we're bound by, you've got to be like super consistent with your before and afters. So technically, yeah, order, and then get yeah. to be criticized saying, look, you're glamming them up in your after and you're not in yeah. your before. So just be careful if you're in, in wherever you are in the world and what your own rules are, I guess. Yeah. If you're in, an, if, yeah. you're, if you're in a, a country with strict medical advertising guidelines like we are here in Australia, yeah. they're on you for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've got one last question before we get into the listener questions. Um, accordion lines, that's still kind of perioral. Very, very tricky. Um and I'm sure there's a hundred different approaches and techniques, but how would you break it down into a few bullet points? Maybe we'll start with Steve this time. Don't fall them. It's, it's because I find, well, in my opinion, it's, it's a difficult area to treat. And I know a lot of people use the fan technique there, don't mm -hmm. they? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to fill those lines. But in my opinion, it can look, uh, very overfilled very quickly. Mm. Um, and so it needs to be treated with, uh, with, with with a lot of uh, with a lot of caution and like everywhere else in the face, less is more. I can't I, I I can't remember ever sort of trying to fill in these little fine lines. I know people become very obsessed with them, but mm. then you can end up looking quite swollen in this area and 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 unnatural. 
Mm. So um, I have to say it's not an area that I commonly fill. It can also lead to, um, in my opinion, uh, sort of more heaviness in the area and compound the sort of downward droop which we see with aging and the formation of jowl. So it can add to that kind of heaviness. Uh, so not something that I do. I have to have to be honest. Okay. Mm. How about yourself, Julie? Any different aspects? I agree. I'm very careful with the amount uh, of products. Sometimes they have, you know, they have no buccal fat. They have severe, you know, volume loss in this area. They get a little bit crepey when they smile. Sometimes I can work with a cannula with a very soft, you know, tissue integrative product, like again, refine just to restore the volume. Uh, but with these static lines, um, I, I do use Tom Fanaig's firm pattern technique because you strengthen the envelope more or less. So you, I just inject small, small droplets into the actual line. So there won't be much product. There won't be heaviness added. We're talking about 0.0 something milliliter into these lines. But I mean, you still have the muscle movement. These lines are static. I mean, you can't take them away. If you're lucky, you might be able to polish them slightly. But I mean, come on, isn't it beautiful to have a few lines here to make sh- to show people that you actually had some fun in your life? <laughs> <laughs> what about um, would potentially sculpture being a good candidate for that area of the no, face? No, I mean, exactly what you said. It tends to be sort of a break in the dermis. Right. So when you animate, yeah. they're very severe. When you, when you don't right. smile, they almost exactly. disappear. So it, mm. it's not a... You know, they can be hollow in, in, in this sort of... Yeah, be careful way. correcting lines which form on animation because, of course, then when you're not animating, you're going to... It's going to look swollen, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, maybe, maybe later mm. then, CO2 resurfacing. Uh, well, it, well, not really. It's just... it's just uh, Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you can improve the skin texture, mm. of course, it will look better. I mean, the one thing that I like to do is to sort of support around it. So, you know, sort of pre-auricular can, can sort of make mm. it look slightly less severe. I mean, these people tend to... You know they're quite athletic or quite slim or gaunt, so often right, right, global right. volume loss anyway. I guess, mm-hmm. and you know I, I agree. I do like that that ferning technique. I use um, Volift in my own practice. Tiny, tiny amounts. We're talking, you know, through the yeah. whole line, maybe just I don't know, point one. I don't know exactly, but small, small yeah. volumes. So small, small, small volumes. So it, it can work, but yeah, tricky area. Mm. Very, very tricky area. Mm. All right, listen to questions. Let's go. First one from Caitlin King. Oh, hello, Caitlin. From uh, she's a registered nurse from Melbourne, friend of the podcast. Been on the podcast. Been on the podcast. Yeah. Yes. Um, she asks, and it's not to anyone in particular. So we'll just go. Julie, then Steve, and then we'll do the opposite for the next one. What is the best way of doing tox for the lip slash perioral perioral lines? And she has a second question, which we'll add to it. Is myomodulation possible to treat a gummy smile? Do you want to go first, Julie? And I can read the questions again if you need to there. Yeah, I guess the question really is how do you treat a perioral line? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's really what the question (laughs) is. We talked. We, we kind we of covered did, that yeah. already. We actually covered that um, question. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think did. you said, Julie, you, your ultimate sort of goal is to not overfill, strengthen mm-hmm. the dermis a bit like what we've just said with the accordion line. Mm-hmm. But maybe they need to go and see a dermatologist or someone useful with a laser. I think yeah. I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, why not? Yeah. A medical skincare, you know, to improve the, the skin as well yeah yeah do, do you ever use that. toxin you know not for the lip flip it's the same technique i guess but to soften those lines is like a little trial or not really i do i do a little bit higher up 
but so teeny tiny doses. So the thing is that it's, it wears out after a few weeks. Mm. So not many patients, you know, want to come back and pay and do that every four weeks, you know? So, but it do helps because I'm very cautious about the amount of toxin in the perioral region, because many people, including myself, look very strange. As soon as I get a teeny, teeny, tiny bit too much or in the wrong place, I start struggling and I talk funny. <laughs> so I'm, I'm careful, but I do know, uh, doesn't Arthur Swift have a great technique there? I've never tried it, he and I'm, I'm it. curious to hear. Mm. Yeah, he mixes mm. in some uh, neurotoxin mm. into the filler, and he works with a cannula. What What do you think about that approach, Steve? I, have I you tried it? No, of course. No, it does. It 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 doesn't sound good to me. Uh, look, but if it works for him, great. I wouldn't. I. I wouldn't be advocating that technique. It, it just sounds a little bit unpredictable and a little bit of a shot in the dark. Um, I think with Botox, you really need to be specific. Um, I, I guess what he's trying to do is sort of spread it out a little bit. No, it's maybe a bit too experimental for me. Um, I, I wouldn't advocate that. W would you or would you do that? I haven't tried it, but, but um, I'll let find a friend and I'll try it. I will let you know for sure. I'll try it. You'll find page. a friend. You. <laughs> she won't be your friend after that. <laughs> well, I think the thing that, um, that Arthur does, I don't know which filler he, he chooses because I know he... Don't you know. Are you going to talk about the ice cream scoop? No, I don't know what that is, but you can oh, right. after. Is that, um, like, is that like two girls in a cup? Is it? <laughs> No, no, no. no okay. don't you go there right. until we get into the end of the podcast. Yeah, sorry, sorry, everybody, it's getting late. Sorry. Now, the other thing he does is he he dilutes his filler. I think he uses saline to make it very, very, um, you know, thin, basically. And and maybe to be honest, he probably chose that technique prior to having such a large portfolio of filler. So he was making almost his own different concentrations of filler by by you know, concentrating them in different ways. So it's interesting. I mean, I'd love to ask him. He's an absolute legend, that guy. He really is. Yes. Um, I, I really admire him. I mean, what he's done for our industry is just incredible. Yeah, agreed. And yes. even, and, uh, uh, you know, Maurizio too, I mean, I completely sort of disagree with him on, on the codes and so forth. But again, a huge impact on, on the industry. It was the two of them that I kind of uh, learned from initially. But didn't you produce your alien codes? <laughs> so... <laughs> Same kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't mean it as a personal attack. Uh -oh. uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, fair mm. enough. Um, uh, Caitlin, second question, which is quite interesting. Can you myomodulate to treat a gummy smile? I think what she means is using... Yeah, we, 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 we spoke yeah. about that. And, mm. and, and I think you can. And, and I've seen success. I, a friend of mine, Jorge, uh, in, in Spain does that. And I, I'm struggling to remember his surname so i can't i wish i could uh anyway they're they're on it there in spain and they're running some studies to show how fillers correct a gummy smile through my imagination and it, it his befores and afters are incredible next question i'll leave you you can't pronounce the last name for the, you can, i can <laughs> i can't ish. <laughs> go on okay i'm gonna call her ish because she's a dentist in Sydney. Right, okay i'm not gonna screw up your surname <laughs> okay. sorry about that um, what are your thoughts on using mono threads for lip shaping or bordering? Oh, That's an interesting one. I know Steve's going to say no, it's rubbish. But you know, <laughs> what 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 are your thoughts as key opinion leaders? What are, what have you heard in the grapevine about maybe problems or or benefits of that? 
I mean, I'm not a thread person. I don't use threads. I never use them. And I don't think I ever will. Yeah. It's mm. not my thing. I'm going to just leave it at that. I, I, I'm in agreement here. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it could be something which is really unpredictable. And anything which isn't immediately reversible is is off my list of products. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the way the monothreads work is, you know, they're tiny little bits of suture material that then create the inflammatory reaction. So, like you said, it's pretty unpredictable. Uh, sure, it's small and localized, but it's sort of there forever. You're, you're creating scar tissue in the lip. Mm-hmm. So, it's not like, you know, even with filler, if you screw up, you can just dissolve it and and, mm-hmm. and sort of go back to square one. So, agreed. Um, we've already done Tish's second question. Yeah, Tom, you go for it. Tom, is it Ponsonby? Yeah. Um, he's a doctor from Victoria. Uh, what filler makes a good choice for lips in terms of rheology? We kind of covered this, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it just depends. Floppy lip, firm lip. What are you trying to achieve? And, you know, and you're going to choose your, your rheology based on that. Would you agree, guys? Anything Jack, do you, do you use uh, Vicross in the lips? I do. Okay. I'm just curious because... Uh, is it associated with a lot of sort of inflammation initially, a lot of swelling? And have you had any cases of uh, nodules? None at all. Uh, not in the lip. I, I'm happy to, you know, talk about nodules just generally. So I only use the Vicross for everything. Uh, and my favorite for lip is Volift. So Juvederm Volift. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very, you know, it depends on the lip. Obviously, if I'm, you know, if I have a younger patient wanting something a little bit bolder, then I might choose to a different product. In terms of delayed onset nodules, no, I've had none in the lips. I've had a handful in sporadic regions, but we're talking way under 1%. You know, we're talking maybe Mm. one a year out of hundreds of people treated. So Mm. I don't think it's brand specific. I know we've had this discussion about Vicross and is there something, you know, funny with the cross-linking and so on. We're actually going to do a podcast on Mm. delayed onset nodules with someone who's done a PhD in this. Mm. So Mm -hmm. we'll get him on soon. It's um, Dr. Tom DeCatz from the Amsterdam group. So we'll talk about that, but no, I haven't had any in the lips. Okay. Um, Stephanie down in Melbourne, one of our friends and and sort of a fan of the podcast. When you have filler migration, do you have an open channel into the white border that will lead to the spread? Further spread. Sorry, further spread. Yeah. So if you've, if you've made a stab once in the future, does that leave sort of an open channel for future migration? I I guess is the question. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say a single stab might lead to that, but if you cause migration in one patient, I think you have a high risk that that patient might get migration and again and again due to anatomical changes um, in the in the different components. I mean, these small, these fascias we have, this little close compartment we have to work uh, with in lip. I mean, these structures in my opinion or in my belief, it's very delicate. So if you pump the lips full of high G prime filler, of course things can happen and the anatomical structures, you know, it can change. So if you have migration once, I do believe, even if you do everything right, small amounts, small, small, only a little bit of horizontal injections because of the, you know, ongoing muscle movement, I think the filler can migrate Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, it's all depending if you create an open highway to the arbitrage. Mm, right. That's my mm. theory. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, no, I tend to agree with that. I think it's an area which requires a lot more studying, but I think the logic yeah. you have there is 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 correct. Yeah, mm. because I see I it happen. Agree. You know, 
I dissolve a lot and then we re-inject mm. very, very carefully. Mm. Uh, but and even if I, you know, mm. it can come out a little bit crawl out. Yeah, mm. then we just keep it under control with small micro droplets with a BD mm. syringe. A little bit above the migration, add some droplets of hyaluronidase just to keep it under control. But these types of lips, you can never, ever overexpand because the filler will slide mm. straight back up there. Mm. I, I got my own question that sort of combines some some questions that we had, and we touched on that closed system of the lips. So if we are assuming, you know, that the, the studies have shown it basically is a closed system, can you still get spillage outside if you just overfill? Do, do you think that's Yeah, I reasonable? believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So again, it's a down to volume technique, mm. not going through the white roll, uh, obviously respecting the anatomy and pulling all of these things together. So I think, you know, you've both really shared some amazing tips and uh, it's always an honor to to speak to our friends and, and amazing colleagues from around the world. That's the last question. That, that is the last question. Well, we've already kind of oh, done that. Let me one. just give her a shout out. Yeah. Is it Mar- Marja? Ambrose, Mar- yeah. Marcia, she's from, she's a GP from Slovenia. It's actually a man. Oh, sorry. Yes. My bad. Sorry about it. <laughs> sorry, Matija, but thank sorry. you for your question. I, I tried. I tried. Yes. No, all good. <laughs> um, so um, thank you so much. Actually, we did have one more question. Someone wanted to know, when are you coming to Australia, Julie, to do some masterclasses or, or further teaching? It's been a long, long, long time. I know. I know. It will definitely happen in 2023. 2023. Okay. Fair enough. Yes. And Steve, when are we going to get you on the road? When are you going to get the, the Steve Harris masterclass dissolved? Too old. Special. <laughs> no, too old. Too old. <laughs> no. I mean, to go to Australia, my God. Um, yeah. So next year I'm actually, um, I'm sort of um, reducing the amount of clinical work and hope to be uh, teaching a lot more. Um, I do the sort of odd course. I'm, I'm doing the ultrasound course now with Sabrina, um, Sabrina Shardesai. Um, it, it's, uh, but I hope to sort of uh, do more of what uh, Judy's doing in terms of uh, more teaching. Yeah. Um, my, my sort of um, patient list is, is, is sort of, uh, or, or clinical work is, is um, very uh, busy at the moment and it doesn't allow me to sort of uh, travel and, and teach and, and and do that kind of thing but uh but jake are you aren't you coming to this part of the world soon i am aren't you you're coming there. to face aren't you uh, uh, no, i'm coming to mcas but i'll, I'll fly to, uh, to MCAS. i'll come for a cup of tea at dr harris's clinic and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a yeah. cup of tea we'll go to the pub okay we'll go to the pub sounds good but just bring <laughs> yeah, your ultrasound we'll so pub. we can have a play with you know, <laughs> I'll we'll, bring the ultrasound we'll scan some random people's faces and <laughs> over a pint <laughs> what could go wrong <laughs> awesome and, so guys and we'll, i'll see you i see you in stockholm jay yeah absolutely at bts yeah i yes. can't wait i'm very very excited so guys um we'll of course put your details down at the bottom of the pod- podcast description can't speak it's been too long um thank you you so much again and yeah and i'll get to see you in about six to eight weeks it's been a pleasure to see you again thank you guys we had to thank you thank you so much for our latest news upcoming guests and episode topics follow us on instagram at inside aesthetics podcast using the link in our instagram profile you can easily email us text us apply to be a guest on the show follow our personal accounts on instagram and even show your love and support us on patreon 